Hello and welcome to this January episode of the Musician's Journey podcast. What I'm doing here is to ask musicians about things related to practicalities and creativity, as well as to show how diverse our journeys are and how human it is to be making music. Exactly a year ago now, I quit my job to focus on being a cellist for a living. And during this process, there were many questions that came up that I wanted to ask others about. It's a good sign for my career that I'm releasing an episode bi-weekly rather than weekly, since there is actually more and more coming up in my musician life, such as new students, more rehearsals and having to deal with the fact that I need to pay taxes and increase my understanding of what it means to be part of this economic society. Someone who has a lot of experience to share and who is also releasing a podcast episode every other week is today's guest, Bill Small. Nothing I can do about it now She was sitting on the steps of her front porch The day I left I told her I'd be back In a minute I didn't plan to let her down There's nothing I can do about it now Nothing I can do about running away I didn't mean to go, but I couldn't stay There's nothing I can do to make it right Standing all alone in the middle of Introduce yourself and uh, say a little bit about who you are and what you're doing and where you're from. Sure. Um, I'm Bill Small, and I have been a professional musician for more than 35 years, which is frightening to say because <laughs> makes me realize my age. Uh, most of my life, there's been nothing else I wanted to do. Uh, I now have two jobs. I'm also a business and personal coach, which I started doing a, hmm, almost two decades ago, but mostly a, for real about the last 10 or 15 years. Um, and I love it. And sometimes I get to work with other artists, which is great. And then it's been interesting to talk to people in all kinds of different businesses 
And some of them might go, well, what do you know about business being a musician? And I tell them more than you can possibly imagine. Because mm-hmm. I've had my own business, whether I knew it or not, since the day I announced this is what I was going to do. And the business I'm in is harder than the business that you are in. So trust me. <laughs> uh, but uh, I grew up on the East Coast of the United States in New Jersey, very close to New York City, and spent a lot of time in and around that area. Went to school at Berklee College of Music in Boston for uh, a couple of years. And then, interestingly enough, in three weeks, I will finally get my degree. I went right. back uh, about a year before the pandemic and started finishing the degree that I started 30 years oh. ago college. Uh, <laughs> and obviously, like so many people, I haven't played a whole lot in the last 18 or 20 months. Before that, I was in a band in Texas called Walt Wilkins and the Mysticaros for 16 years. And we put out four records During that time, I put out three solo records. Everybody in the band kind of did their own thing as well, and then we'd come together, and uh, it was really, really great. It's a good group of players and people, and I was probably playing 80 to 120 shows a year, something like that, Hmm. Um, and being in the studio quite often, uh, I've produced a few records and played on a ton of them. And right now, honestly, when it comes to music, I'm kind of trying to figure out what's next. Hmm. I don't necessarily want to go back to exactly what I was doing before. Um, I realized that in 2018 and part of 2019, I put 52,000 miles on my car. So that gives you some idea of how much I was driving. I can't yeah. convert that to kilometers. I wish I could. I was just <laughs> uh, about to ask you. Yeah. Well, I wonder if we can find out. I mean, I, I don't see why I can't look that up while I'm talking. Yeah, so that's uh, 83,685 kilometers. Yeah. So let's call it 84,000 kilometers yeah. in 18 months. And I don't, I think that's the last time I need to do that. <laughs> With a lot of driving. Right. <laughs> So I had a question about, like, what's the earliest milestone you can remember as a musician? But you mm. seem to have come to some kind of milestone now, maybe. Maybe. Or some uh, turn of uh, events. I think there's a lot of them. Yeah. I remember this. I remember uh, singing along to records in my room when I was a little kid watching my sister play guitar and sing. She's 10 years older than me, so I thought she was really cool. Yes. Uh, And then being at the school choir concert in fifth grade for us, so I was probably 11, and I wasn't in the choir. In the first half of the year, other kids were, and they performed right before Christmas. And I saw that, and all I remember thinking is, I want to be up there. Mm. So I got in choir the next uh, term of school, and the 
choir director gave me a solo, the song Where is Love from Oliver, from the musical Oliver. And I stood up in front of people in the auditorium and I sang that song and everyone applauded and I was hooked forever. On being applauded or uh, singing in front of people? Singing in front of people. Yeah. And, you know, the applause part too was, was okay. Mm. <laughs> you know, just knowing that you connected, that it worked, that you put mm. something out there and something came back. Yeah. I'm uh, being more faced with my own early memories now because I'm getting more into teaching, mm. uh, like private teaching. That has uh, really kicked off this autumn. Uh, and then, especially if I have a child to teach, I'm automatically thinking about uh, when I was a child, what were the experiences that really nurtured my interest in wanting to pursue music? Yeah. What, what are you teaching? Uh, cello. Oh, wonderful. Yes. And there is a market for it, it seems, a private, uh, private market. I was uh, really curious about that when I started out. And now, uh, yeah, there's definitely one, especially for adults. But uh, also, yeah, a couple of kids. Uh, maybe if the parents want longer lessons than what you would get if you went to a school with other kids for music lessons or more flexibility in in uh, time and weekdays even or more uh, one-on-one focus uh, here there is a lot of teaching groups of kids that's that seems to be pretty uh, common yeah um, so yeah i'm i'm just really exhilarated these days and uh, really great. into this uh, role of a teacher and it's growing on me and it's uh, it gives me so much energy it's oh that's great exciting that's yeah yeah i i uh when i finally decided quite a long time ago to not have what we like to call day jobs mm. jobs that had nothing to do with music yeah uh, the first thing i did was start taking voice students as I studied voice in college. So I thought, well, I can do that. And it's really interesting. In some ways, as a coach, I am kind of a teacher, kind of. It's not exactly the same thing. But teaching voice, man, I didn't like it. I could do it, but I found, I don't know. It. it I used to sit there, and unlike you who get energized by it, I used to sit there and wait and hope they didn't show up. And I was like, well, I probably shouldn't be doing this. And once they showed up, it was fine. And we'd have a great lesson and be, you know, I'd I'd flip the switch and it'd be okay. But I clearly didn't want to do it. And it's interesting. You can, you really can find so many ways to make money in and around music. Mm. And I've done a lot of them, but a lot of them I really don't like. Mm. And just because I can do it doesn't always mean I should. No. no. Yeah. 
would you like to elaborate a bit on this, on how you found your things? Because that's in a way what I'm working on now. I've been just uh, out there open for all kinds of different things and I realized I need to limit it a little bit or I will uh, just hit a wall. Uh, well, maybe you need to limit it. Maybe, maybe not yet. Because yeah. I know I stayed like that for a very long time. Yeah. Just whatever comes in the realm of music and in what I feel like might be my skill set. And sometimes I was completely faking it and just saying, yeah, sure, I can do that. And then going and doing it. Uh, I just take it all from recording engineer to record producer to uh, I built a music venue. I installed uh, PAs in a couple of music venues, was a sound man, uh, would do, again, just about anything that mm. came up that I felt like I could do. Teaching, um, I actually just had another music teaching job for a friend at her, at a private, little, small private school with um, middle school age kids, which is for us is, say, 12 to 15. I did that for a couple of years. Uh, I think you have to do a lot of those things if you have the opportunity to figure out what are the things that you get that energy from that you said you're getting mm -hmm. and that you can also make enough money to support yourself. And it's probably not just one thing. And, and to be honest, I used to think mistakenly that you were supposed to do one thing. That if I said, okay, I write songs and I sing and I perform and I want to make records, then that's all I should focus on. I shouldn't do anything else. And there may be people that that works for. It doesn't work for me. It doesn't fit my personality. It doesn't... Uh, every time I would be only playing with a band, I'd want to play by myself. Anytime I was only playing by myself, I'd want to play with a band. So why don't I do both? Uh, if I am in the recording studio too much, I owned a recording studio for quite a while. If I'm in there too much, I don't like it anymore. If I'm not in there at all for a long time, I can't wait to be in there. Yeah. So it's just finding those balances and finding those things that, that light you up. And you might have to do a lot of them to mm. find that out. Yeah. It feels like a privilege. I'm just comparing yeah. it to a lot of other professions where uh, it seems to be not even questioned that, okay, now I have this office and I have these tasks and that's my eight hours a day the whole week. And uh, for a lot of people, it's very challenging. And for it's us to be able to switch and explore different things like this... Uh, I mean, it's, yeah, it's amazing and it's exciting. And there's some, you know, there's always a trade-off. So, yes, we get to do that. But no one is handing you a paycheck every two weeks. You have no. to figure that out. At yeah. the same time, you can't get fired or laid off. And there is no cap. There is no ceiling on how much money you can make. As much as you can figure out how to make, you can make. Again, you're not, no one is is saying this is what you get. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And you can be as creative with your work life and how you make money as you are with how you play and how you write and mm. everything else. Yeah. 
Can you say something about uh, what have been the influences for you to uh, make you the musician you are today with this, mm. uh, you know, with your coaching, with with the things that you do and your current mindset as a musician? What has been really important inputs for you? You know, it's interesting. I think when I was young, it was just all about whatever music turned me on. And, and hearing it and knowing that I wanted to do that. And I don't even know why I knew I wanted to do that. I just did. Later, I started to pay more attention to, and I'd, I'd say in the last 20 years, I've paid more attention to the person behind whatever that music is and, and how they do what they do and their story and how they got where they are and what they're up to today. Because I feel like the music business that I grew up in is gone. There was a very def defined way that the music business was when I was a kid. There were big record companies. That was the only way you could make a record because it was too expensive to do it any other way. Uh, and with any luck, you got a chance to do that. And it either worked or it didn't. And you did whatever you did. Now, in some ways, it's harder But in some ways, it's also just wide open. You can do whatever you want. So I've taken more inspiration outside of the music business. Mm -hmm. So when I look at people who have successfully made a business online, whether they've created a book or some helpful information or a class or a course and it's done really well, how did they do that? And, and we should be able to do the same thing with music. So taking those little bits and pieces from other businesses and how they've been successful in this new world, so to speak, that's been really helpful. It's one of the reasons that uh, I have a podcast now called The Subtle Art of Not Yelling. And my podcast partner is a marketer. So he's very well-versed in online marketing and digital marketing. So am I. Uh, he actually does it for a living. And I'm fascinated in how we can use it and use it better. And I think traditionally musicians use it very poorly. I, I really don't need, you know, Johnny Guitar Player to just keep telling me where, where his gigs are because I, I don't care. But he can use that to pull together a whole group of people that really like what he does. It just takes some work sometimes to figure that out and, mm. and find those people. But I think that means that you, that me, that anyone who loves what they do in music can figure out a way to pull together an audience and an audience of people who actually pay money for what they do. Been kicking these stones far too long Dust is all I can taste This tin can living ain't quite heaven Even angels left this place Let's throw a prayer into the air Stop living in misery Hey baby, what do you say? I think it's time to leave There's gotta be something There's gotta be something better Gotta be something better than this No steady work, no steady pay We can't leave 
Where do you start if you're a musician and you want to get more knowledge about this aspect of the career? That's a great question. <laughs> uh, you know, there are there are classes. Uh, they're not paying me for this, really. But I know that uh, Berklee College of Music has some online classes that aren't terribly expensive that are around those kind of things. And I'm sure there's other ones out there. I think that's a great place to start, whether it's a book or some kind of class, just to wrap your head around how how does this work and, and what some of the language is. Because there is a specific language around online marketing that if you have no experience with it will just sound crazy you won't know what they're talking about so getting a little information around that i think is always helpful and then maybe it's like everything else you know when people say i've had people ask me how do i put a great band together and my answer is go book a gig go book a gig mm. and you can call people and say hey i have a gig mm. will you come play it with me uh, this may be the same thing. It may be you get some information and then you try something and see if it works and you fail miserably at it and you keep figuring it out. Mm -hmm. uh, just like I think the only reason that I got any good at playing in front of people is because I've played in front of people a ton. I just never stopped. Mm. I am... Um I have a generalization, but I think it's uh, fairly justified that in the States, where you are from, it's a lot more common than here in Europe to be an entrepreneur and to do your own thing and to be your own boss and to follow your dream. And uh, here we are a little more institutionalized and uh, yeah, you study and then you become an employer somewhere. Yes. No, I mean employee somewhere. Yeah, I uh, in order to take the step to do your own thing, it takes some courage. Uh, do you have some words of advice there for someone who might want to do their own thing, but it seems just so daunting to yeah. do that? Well, it is daunting to do that. It is scary. So don't ever expect it not to be scary. Mm. Uh, it's not for everyone. It's not. It does take a particular personality to do it. And it's okay if it doesn't work for you, but it's certainly worth trying. Mm. Um, I think you're right. I don't think that's a generalization. I think you're you're absolutely right that maybe it's more common here, um, or at least we talk about it a whole lot more. Uh, but also take it seriously. I think particularly in music, we don't talk about ourselves as business people. Most musicians, especially young ones, probably don't know how to organize themselves as a business. Are you a sole proprietor? Are you a, a corporation? Uh, what kind of business entity are you? Mm. How are you going to file your taxes? Who's going to do that for you? Are you mm. going to do that yourself? Are you going to keep your own books? Is someone else going to do that? All those kind of things are really more important than I think we give them credit for. They're more important than I certainly made them for a long time. Mm -hmm. And I think I could have done much better sooner 
had I taken those kind of things a little more seriously and really thought of myself as a business. And maybe in some ways that's the first place to start. Because if you said that you wanted to open a bakery, there'd be some questions you'd need to answer, right? Where, where am I going to be? What's my location? What am I going to bake? Is it going to be cookies? <laughs> Is it going mm-hmm. to be cakes? Is it going to be pies? Is it going to be all of the above? Is it, is it specialty? Uh, am I going to do custom things or only what you see in the case? What, what am I going to do? Uh, how much am I going to charge? What, what will the market allow? So the guy on the other part of town charges $1 for his cookies. Do I have to charge the same? Should, can I charge less? Should I charge more? Mm-hmm. Those kind of things. Yeah. Uh, there, there is a little bit of, of that to, to try to answer for yourself. I don't want to say business plan because I hate business plans. But even just thinking about, okay, how much money do I need to make to pay my rent, to eat food, etc.? What are all the ways I can think of doing what I love to do, doing this thing that I say my business does? What do I need to do to actually make that happen? Do I need to play 10 gigs a month? Is that possible? Do I need to play five gigs and have five students? Is that possible? Do I need, you get what I mean, right? Yeah. 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 And some of these things are, seem to be changing so quickly. So you can't really read some book that was written five years ago. You know, there are it's true. Uh, things, yeah, things to do with prices. Mm-hmm. That's been. Uh, interesting to me to set a price for a lesson and uh, uh, so this year when I started teaching privately I was into having a a fairly low threshold because I wanted the experience I wanted students I would give a first lesson for free and uh, I was very very flexible I have been very flexible and uh, it's been okay when they have had to cancel Uh, less than 24 hours in advance I've been very kind and just like dipping a toe into the water and uh, now I have found a better way of formulating certain guidelines for this particular business of mine that I will put into practice from the new year Um, it's really fascinating to then just see what I need to make some clarifications around and to to see what happens. And uh, maybe some students are fine if prices are a little higher, but others might then prefer to have shorter lessons in order to not pay more. And uh, yeah, there are so many different aspects to this. So before I talk any more about pricing and money, I want you to know that I don't play music for money, but you have to pay me. <laughs> yes. Money's not the reason I do it. But I still have to get paid. Hmm. And I noticed something when I when I started teaching, when I decided I was going to teach voice. Now this was a long time ago, it was 1997. And I decided I was going to charge $25 an hour. And that seemed like a lot of money to me because I think the job that I was leaving paid $15 an hour. And I didn't think about how many students I have to have no. to make up the difference. 
See, this was that whole thing I was talking about, actually thinking about your business before you start doing it. Uh, I didn't really think about that. And I got a phone call one day from a friend of a friend who worked for a publishing company. And he said, uh, we have a writer here. We'd like to get him some voice lessons. Are you available? I said, yes. He said, what do you charge? And I thought, well, this is a big company. They can afford a little more money. So I said, $50 an hour. And I never heard back from him. Hmm. So I asked my friend, you know, what happened? Did you ever hear about this? Oh, yeah, they hired so-and-so from Houston. I looked her up. She charges $400 an hour. Oh, right. So <laughs> what, they, what they got was, I charge so little, I can't possibly know what I'm doing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's a there's this weird perceived value of things, mm. and you have to walk the line because sometimes, uh, if there's certain, here's what I like to do: I like to price high and give you a deal. So, right, yes. Um, the the end of my teaching run, what I had started doing was making people buy or asking people to buy four lessons in a package. Yeah. And go ahead and pay for those up front. That's exactly what I'm going to do now, actually. Yeah, yeah. that's perfect. Cause, and then you can use them or not. You do whatever you want with them. Uh, yeah. and, and I do think you have to have cancellation kind of policies. If you call me an hour before mm. yeah. and, and nobody died, then it's probably, you should probably pay me. You know, The great thing is, Having things like that, a package or a higher price to begin with, you can always give someone a deal. You can always mm -hmm. say, you know what, I really want to work with you, so we'll figure something out. It's really hard to go the other way. Mm. Yeah. And sometimes you will price some people out of your service. Mm. That's okay. That's okay. Mm. Uh, I believe that, um, I mean, of course, I prepare questions whenever I talk to someone, uh, but I also like to to see where it's going. And I think that uh, the best talk comes when uh, someone gets to say exactly what they're interested in these days. Like, is your mind at, you know, wanting to... Say more about your journey as a musician in the past, or are you more into things that are happening right now? Well, maybe it's all of the above. So, as I said, I, I don't really know what's next. And that's an interesting place to be. I'm not sure I've ever been there. I'm not sure I've, I've ever felt exactly like this. If I have, it's been a very long time. Yeah. Uh, I'm clear about some things I don't want to do, like I said, the driving 84,000 kilometers. But being clear about what I don't want to do does not really help me come up with what I do want to do. Hmm. So I'm really taking note of what feels really good. So I just did a, a week-long tour in the Netherlands. I go to the Netherlands usually once a year. I didn't go last year, of course, uh, with this guy I've been playing with forever, Walt Wilkins, and it was fantastic. So that goes in the box of, yes, I want to keep doing this and things that feel like this. 
uh, in 2020, I started just recording and releasing music as it came to me. Mm-hmm. So not trying to make a record, not raising a bunch of money or doing any of that, which I've done. I don't want to do that anymore either. Mm-hmm. Uh, but having a song, recording it either here or in the studio or both, and just putting it out. I want to keep doing that. I am not sure, and this is the business coach saying this, I am not sure how exactly I'm going to monetize that mm-hmm. or if I even care. Right. Uh, so I'm I'm still working through that. And that's an interesting question. It's an interesting thing to inquire into. How do I want to do this? What works for me? What's maybe most importantly, what's sustainable? Mm-hmm. I could get very excited and post a lot on social media or spend a lot of time pulling music together and maybe having a project. You know, I've, I've put out records where you spend a lot of time uh, making, preparing for, releasing all of that record, and then you're done. That's great. But it's not sustainable. I can't do that all the time. So how can I, my question that I'm looking into, and I don't have an answer for this, and it's kind of fun that I don't have an answer to this, yeah. is how can I continue to make the music I want to make with the people I want to make it with and and still get paid for that in a way that feels okay. I don't, you know, I'm not, I don't need to become the Rolling Stones. That's not what I'm looking for. Mm. But I'm just finding a level that, that feels good. That That's really the inquiry I'm in. And I'm hopping, I hop back and forth a lot between the two businesses. They're connected and they're not all at the same time. Yeah. Uh, you know, I always show up. I'm always a musician. I'm always that guy. I'm always the coach. I'm always that guy. But the businesses move at different paces. Uh, so I do a little, there's a little jumping back and forth uh, for me as well. So can you share how an everyday looks like for you? Ooh, I love a that. typical day? Yeah, here's the thing. I don't have one. Yeah. Yeah. Every day is totally different, and it's one of the things that I adore yes. about this particular way of life. And there are people that are really good at routine. I get up every day about this time. I do these five things. I work from this time to this time, etc. I can't do that. I am, I am physically and mentally incapable of doing that. I've tried. It doesn't work. It's pretty awful. Mm-hmm. Uh, but sometimes I used to think that I was supposed to be able to do that. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, that's what I had to do to be successful. Uh, not the case. Every day is totally different. I have a 10-year-old son, so most mornings I get up early and take him to school. Mm. That's the most consistent thing I have in my day. Uh, I will say that I do... I try to schedule my weeks so that most of my coaching calls are Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. It leaves me Mondays and Fridays for things like this. Uh, I have been finishing school, so that's a little extra work on top of everything else. Mm. I would say that um, generally, I take my kid to school. I have a, a, a pretty 
good meditation practice, so I meditate when I get home. Uh, then at the beginning of the week, I will usually spend some time actually getting back engaged with what do I need to do and what do I want to do this week? What are the tasks, the to-dos, the, the things, and get them out of my head and onto some paper. For me, it's paper. Some people use computer or whatever. So that when I'm wondering, what am I doing? What do I need to do now? I have a place I can go look. I don't have to try to remember that. Yeah. Um, and then if I have calls, I'm on my calls. If I have meetings, I'm at my meetings. Uh, I try to spend a little bit of time uh, creating, writing whenever I can. I'm not good at just deciding I'm going to sit down and write music right now. So I tend to I have a writing partner in Detroit, Michigan, that every couple of weeks we make sure we get together and look at something, either something that we've already started or something new. Um, I hope to be playing a little more, you know, mm-hmm. uh, in 2022. So that, that comes in as well if I have to... Uh, uh, listen to anything if I'm playing with somebody new or uh, try to remember my own songs before the gig I'll take some time <laughs> in an afternoon and, and do that uh, but yeah why did you have to go couldn't you see how much more Was it too late to turn it around? Were you really so afraid? I was a child by an open window Singing the words to my favorite songs You helped me find So it sounds like you have a lot to do. So where is this space for a new path or a change of... Well, the great thing is I can always fill up space, but I never really feel like I'm out of it, like out of space. I don't feel like I'm doing too much or... There's always a lot going on, but there's always room. Hmm. So right now, sometimes I think it's helpful to be in the inquiry of something, be in the asking. I don't have to have an answer today. So partially, I might get a little, talking a little bit about energy and things like that, but I really do think that as I begin to focus in more on what I want the music part of my life to feel like, when I can look out and see myself in five years or ten years and feel what that version of me feels like, making music, performing, doing whatever, and keep trying to bring that, just the feeling of that, just be in that, the more opportunities show up that kind of line up with that. 
I know it's a little out there, but uh, that's part of the process for me is really seeing, okay, great, what feels good? And let's be open for more of that. And not be afraid to say no to the things that don't feel good. Hmm. That's a big one. Yeah. You know, when you're out trying to do a lot of different things is being able to say no. Even if it pays money, <laughs> being yeah. able to say no. Uh, I think it demands quite some patience and break of ingrained habits to acquire the skill to take this different perspective. I think we grow up and we are given this uh, intense uh, speed and uh, narrow focus on everything and then at some point, maybe decades later, maybe, yeah. uh, someone talks about meditation or a slightly different way of thinking about things. And it might sound like a good idea, but to actually experience it is uh, uh, fascinatingly challenging for the way my my mind has been wired. Absolutely. I mean, I'm doing, uh, I'm doing it more and more. Yeah. Um, it's hard to start. It really is. Yeah. It's hard to start. And I was what I would just call intermittent or on and off for a very long time. Uh, and even now, I, I don't like to talk about things in terms of absolutes. So I often say that small, consistent actions over time create change. So if you've never meditated, let's say, And you decide, all right, I'm going to meditate every day. But in reality, what you end up doing is maybe two days this week and one day next week and three days the week after that and two days the week after that. And it kind of goes like that for a while. Over a period of three months or four months or six months, if you're still doing that, you've meditated about a million percent more than you did before. It, it It's those those consistent things that show up. Consistent doesn't always mean every day. And the great thing about something like meditation is you don't have to just sit in one place to do it. You know, mm. you don't. Yeah. And sometimes it's just a matter of getting out of your head because uh, your head is not a place you want to hang out. It's just not a great place to be. Mm. <laughs> uh, a lot of times for me, it's as simple as remembering to take a deep breath And notice that I have hands and feet. Mm. Just feel where my feet are. Feel where my hands are. And then suddenly, here I am. I'm back in this moment. I'm right here. I'm not lost in whatever I want to say next or whatever I said a minute ago. And this works really good for performing, too. Mm. It's very easy to get hooked by things on stage. Somebody has a funny look on their face in the audience. You think, oh, what did I do? Mm. I hate it. Or whatever. That's just your brain making up stories. So being able to drop out of here and back into your body is huge. It's great in performance. It works great in teaching, uh, living, <laughs> in general. Yeah. It reminds me of... Uh I think the most useful way I've come across so far as well of getting into a meditation, which is something that Alan Watts was saying, yeah. that uh, just um, close your eyes and uh, listen 
what do you mm. hear? And that's very similar to, you know, my hands and feet are there and I'm hearing uh, just uh, no more or less than what I'm hearing right now. Right. Yeah. We're so keen to change our experience. Mm. Uh, when it's good, we just want more good. When it's uncomfortable, we automatically want to change that. We either want to push it away, fix it, whatever. It's an automatic reaction. But actually being able to just be uncomfortable is enormous. Mm. And, and I do think that for creative people, it's extremely helpful. Songwriting is uncomfortable. If you're not uncomfortable when you're writing a song, you're not doing it right. Mm. It's very uncomfortable. Uh, it's so easy to get lost in thinking about things you don't need to be thinking about. Staying in that space, being... Creativity is generally uncomfortable. It just is. That's okay. So being able to be with that and not have to fix it or change it or have it be all rosy and sunny all the time is really, really helpful. Mm. And meditation is a great way to train your brain to be able to do that. Yeah. Yeah, it's invaluable, I think, for a freelance musician if uh, just any little thing that can make you feel bad, uh, like a student quits and my mind starts going, oh, there's something wrong with me, you know. And, of course, it's just that, oh, maybe they found something else to do instead. So yeah. um, it's yeah, extremely valuable to just be able to observe what's happening in the mind instead of being caught in it and uh, just feeling bad without realizing that it doesn't have to be like that, actually. Yeah, we think those thoughts are the truth. Hmm. They're not. Hmm. It's just your brain. Yeah. If, my, if, if your brain talked to you, if anybody, if, if I walked up to you on the street and talked to you the way your brain talked to you, you'd slap me. Hmm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you'd be like, that guy's not nice. Yeah. Hmm. Know, it's amazing being able to take a step back from it and just go, you know, that's just the noise in my head. It's okay. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I remember playing so many times and there's this train of thought that's just running the whole time and I just I like I, I can see it I can hear it it's just running the whole time but I'm doing something else hmm. you get what I mean yes I mean did yeah. you then manage to at some point let it pass or was mm -hmm. it just yeah it's just running yeah I don't have to jump on it yeah, I remember during my studies, there was a very clear shift. So I had a, a, a terrible uh, performance experience. I was playing a sonata. There were people in the audience that made me nervous. You know, some of the older cellists uh, yeah. who were uh, better. And for the entire time, I felt uh, tense. And I was just waiting for the piece to be over, basically. It was horrible. And then... I don't know where it came from, but uh, not long after, I was again in a performance situation and the realization came to me that actually my 
only purpose here is to fill this room with sound and those who are in the room will get to hear it and this really switched my focus from oh me and my instrument and the mm. fingerboard and the you know the technical yeah. things to the whole space yeah. and it was and since then so this is uh, i think it's 10 years ago and this has just remained it was this a uh, very clear shift in my mind that changed things uh, for for good and I don't know where it came from but it was uh, incredibly liberating oh, I love that um I was wondering if you would like to say something about social media do you find that to be a platform whose potential is underrated by a lot of musicians or overrated yes <laughs> Both. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's uh, at the heart of it. The idea of it is fantastic. Hmm. It, it does connect us. It can connect us, but unfortunately, it disconnects us too. Because you won't necessarily talk to me on social media the same way you, that you would talk to me in a room full of people. And I will say that, that generally that's my goal when I use it, is to not say anything any differently than I would say to you right now, the two of us looking at each other. Um, for musicians, I think it's tough. I really do. I think finding a way to use it effectively can be really difficult, and it, it so depends on your audience. Mm. So my audience, quite frankly, they're old. By and large, they're old. They're old. They're ten years older than me, uh, which means the primary way to reach them is on Facebook, right? Because yes. they're, they're not on all the other stuff. Right? No, no. Uh, one of the challenges is to. I don't think it's beneficial to use all the platforms at once. You mm -hmm. know, people think, "Oh, I need to put my stuff everywhere." No, you need to find out where your people are, where they like to go. And focus on that. Mm. So I have to stay in Facebook. I don't always even want to. But that's where my people are. Mm. So it's the best place for me to stay. Now, if there's some other group of people I want to reach, well, then maybe I branch out, go somewhere else. Um, again, I don't always think there's a lot of thought or education that's gone into this for musicians. Unless they've taken some classes in it, unless they've uh, maybe gotten some help with it, it can be difficult to figure out what do I need to spend my time doing and, and how best to present myself. We're past the point of you can just put a band page up and it'll do something. That might have been true 10 years ago. That might have been true with MySpace. Uh, but, but it's so crowded and there's so much stuff out there. Uh, the only way that I know how to, as a musician or anybody else, to use social media effectively is to find your people and engage with them and, and gather them up in whatever way you can. Honestly, 
for you, for me, for any other musicians, I think the best way to use social media is as a tool to build your email list. Is do everything you can to get people out of there and onto an email list. You, you're never going to have to worry about Mark Zuckerberg shutting down your email list, but he mm. might shut down your Facebook page. Mm. Uh, I don't know what's going to happen with that platform in 10 years. Will it even be here? I'll still have an email list. Yeah. So the more that you can do that, I think the better. It can be challenging. Uh, I do know that I've played shows, especially on tour, that the only reason people knew about them was because we posted about it. So again, it has everything to do with what do you do and what, what's the outcome you're looking for? Mm. What do you want to have happen? You got to have the goal first. If you don't have a goal and you're just using social media, well, you're, you're probably underusing it. It's probably not being used all that well. Mm. Uh, you really want to have a goal for it. Why am I doing this? What's the result I'm looking for? Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. I think um, as a cellist, I'm a, um, I decide what I do on social media, but I'm also in a band. And there I find a constant discrepancy between uh, what we are, quote unquote, supposed to do as a band on social media and what I instinctively feel like doing as a band, which is purely based on how I am as a fan of a band, you know? Yeah. I think that's a, a great perspective to look at it from. Hmm. As far as what you're supposed to do on social media, I don't think anybody actually knows. And if they tell you that they do, you don't have to believe them. No. Most of those people who tell you that they know what they're doing on social media had some success with it sometime in the last 10 years. That, it doesn't mean anything. You have to find what works for you for you, for your people, for your voice. Uh, and that's not easy. It, it sounds very simple, but it's really not. It's not an easy no. thing to do. But if you feel like this is what I would want to see from a band, do that. Yeah. Anytime you can get over in the fan perspective, that's fantastic. Mm. Uh, don't worry about what you're supposed to do. Right, right. Yeah. Who cares? But of course, in the band, I have to make compromises with the yes. others in the band. And uh, uh, one thing that I'm uh, giving in on is that uh, I always listen to albums. I never listen to playlists and singles. Mm -hmm. Or Never is a strong word, yeah. uh, like you mentioned these words before. But generally, I'm uh, super into albums. It gives me some time to listen to an artist for a little longer and several tracks that fit together and they, you know, they make each other better than they are sometimes, you know. Sure. But uh, that's just not what we do today. Today no. we release singles and we try to get them onto some playlist and that's a way of potentially monetizing it and uh, yeah, but that's okay. I'm, I'm fine. I <laughs> well, Again, we're talking about, we talked about earlier, how the music business has changed. Mm. And that's a major way that it's changed. Yeah. Uh, one of the reasons that I'm not focused on making records, though I will again, is mm. that 
it costs too much money and I'm not going to make it back. Mm. I'm just not. There was a time where I could print a thousand CDs and sell them Mm. and then make another run and sell them. I I can't do that anymore. People don't buy those. Mm. Uh, I think the last time I did it, I made 200 because I had some little tours to go on and I still have some of those. Yeah. Because people just don't buy that. Um, I might be able to find a certain amount of folks, you know, make some small runs of physical items like that, uh, make an album available digitally, but it's not, it's not the focus for me anymore. I wish it was, because I love that. And I'll still do it from time to time, but if I do it all the time, I'll just, I'll go broke. Mm. There is a time for everything. Yeah, there is. Absolutely. Maybe maybe you can have all of the above. Yeah. What does it mean to you to be a musician? Mm, everything. Mm. I don't remember ever not being one. Not really. No. And... Uh, You said something really great early on. You said we were talking about what we do, all the different jobs and trying out different things. And you said it just feels like such a privilege. Mm. And it really does. And I'm not sure I always understood that. Uh, there's been times where it felt like a curse. <laughs> uh, there's been times where it just felt hard. But even when it feels hard now, I really do get it's a very special thing. When you get to stand or sit in front of a room full of people and communicate with them through music, uh, there's really nothing else like that. Mm. It just isn't. There's no substitute for it. And and. Most of the time, I have to pinch myself. I can't believe I get to do that. Yeah. Did that answer your question? Yeah. Beautiful. <laughs> Beautiful. Where would you like people to listen to your music? Do you have a preference? Well, uh, the best place to go is you can go to billsmallmusic.com. My music page there goes to my Bandcamp page. Uh, I have things on there that I have not put on Spotify or Apple Music just yet. You can only find it there. Um, and of course, you could always go to those places too, Spotify, Apple Music. I got old mm. stuff in all of those places. Um, yeah, so you can go to billsmallmusic.com. You can find out about uh, some of the other things I do at artistmind.co. And I'm easy to find on social media. so tiny now inside of mine skin like dried paper covered in vines they spread like a road map of all that you've seen I wish I could visit all the places you've been we sit here together like so many Sundays You say that's what Sundays are for 
It's a tradition in our family One that you just can't ignore Reverend and solemn A moment of silence Hands joined around The table in love Will we remember Will we continue Hands joined around The table in love Thank you for listening. See the show notes for links to Bill's websites. And I highly recommend the podcast he's making with Miles Hansen called The Subtle Art of Not Yelling. I appreciate having a podcast I can listen to where I'm not just hit by a wall of highly caffeinated tips and tricks, but where I can listen to a conversation between human beings who dare to occasionally enjoy a second of silence. If you appreciate this podcast here, you are welcome to visit my page on coffee, where you can buy me a coffee. And there is also an Instagram profile where I've been thinking I can start to actually post more. (laughs) We'll see. Now, right next to me on the table is a paper I received in the post yesterday, which tells me how much I must pay in preliminary taxes every month this year. I felt so badly treated as a newly registered self-employed. I said to my boyfriend, what country are we living in? And he said, Sweden. Okay, I choose where I live. If I choose to live in Sweden, I must take the consequences and send the money I earn to people who need that to post me letters saying how much I must pay them. Uh, Before long, this podcast will be called rising up against socialism and my younger self will feel utterly betrayed. Anyway, take care of yourself and keep an ear out for the next episode in which I'll be talking with a sheep farmer living in the north of Norway.